from the Defense Acquisition University, this is the Learning Circle. This is The Learning Circle. I'm Anthony Rotolo, and my guest today is Dr. Jane Bozarth. Dr. Bozarth is an internationally known trainer, instructional designer, and speaker. She's the author of a number of books, including E-Learning Solutions on a Shoestring, Better Than Bullet Points, and her newest title, Show Your Work. She's also the co-author of a book called The Really Useful E-Learning Instructional Manual, which is a title that I have benefited from. Dr. Bozarth, welcome to The Learning Circle. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Happy to have you. Now, building it or buying it is the eternal question. I wanted to talk to you today about how we get our e-learning. There's a lot of choices more than ever today. We can purchase ready-made learning off the shelf from various providers, but there's also plenty of authoring tools that make building it in-house a tempting prospect. Or do we hire a firm to do it for us? So there's trade-offs to consider with all of them, and that's what I wanted to explore with you today. Now, oftentimes when we start this journey, there's a vague sense that we need to have you know, some kind of training. But how do we approach the question? How do we identify what it is that we want in a more concrete way? Uh, do you mean what, what it is we want in terms of a specific course or specific? In terms of training, how do we, you know, sometimes an organization has a vague sense that they need training, but in order to even begin to approach these options, how can they start to get their arms around it in a concrete way? Well, I think the first problem is, and I work, uh, in a situation where there are a lot of stakeholders and I'm just a fish in the pond, right? Um, and I am often approached by people who say, we have X problem, we need training. I've got X issue at work. I need a workshop. I have X issue. We need some training. And, and very often they haven't really identified, first of all, what the problem is. They sometimes have difficulty articulating what outcome they want. I think one of our dirty little secrets in this business is that managers don't really know the performance they want. They just want what wasn't yesterday, right? right? Yes. They just want something different. And very often, you know, they just haven't defined the problem well. If, if they come to me, for instance, saying, my people are suddenly not performing, they need refresher training, that doesn't make any sense. If they've been performing and it's been fine and they've been there three years and today they need refresher training, that's kind of a red flag that maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's a resource problem. Maybe there's been a, a boss change. Maybe there's been some other something going on. But but a bunch of people don't suddenly stop performing something they know how to do, right, because they need to be retrained in it. So, right. so sort of teasing that out first and figuring out, do we even have a training problem? And, and my general definition for that, the short version, is, you know, if, if you have somebody who doesn't know how to do something, and they want to do it, then probably we can train them and get something better. But we need to know, you know, what it is that, that they want uh, and what it is that the manager wants them to uh, to get out of it. So then then once we decide, yes, there's a training problem, then we do get to the conversation about, well, how, well, what's the delivery going to look like? You know, is it going to be, do we need a one-on-one -on -one coach? Do we just need some job aids? Do we need face-to-face -face classroom? And I'm in an environment where we still do a lot of that. Or do we need something online. Um, and my experience a lot of times is people have a real quick tendency now to want to take anything that's flat and static and print-based and shovel it online and call it an online course um, and reserve everything kind of interesting and interactive for the traditional classroom 
without much thought beyond that. You know, there's some things that, that I do think need to be in a classroom environment, generally things where you're teaching empathy or you're teaching customer service or you're teaching uh, interacting with an unhappy employee or something like that can usually benefit from some face-to-face skill practice if that's where the work is. But I have people who work in a call center who's never, they're never actually face-to-face with their customers. They're on phones, so we need to practice via phone technology or yes. something like it. Or we have we have people who maybe work remotely and there's there's Skype meetings or there's a WebEx meeting. So, you know, putting people in the environment that makes sense for what they're working on and what they're practicing. Uh, but I also, because I'm in government, I deal with an awful lot of compliance. I deal with lots of safety. I deal with lots of government regulations. I deal with lots of, of things like employment law and grievance law and harassment law. And most of that stuff works works very well online pretty easily. So, so that there's that. It's just what, what kind of makes sense. But then there's some other, I think, more pragmatic questions. And it's, first of all, where where are these people, right? Because I have a um, – people don't realize North Carolina is 100, 150 miles from uh, – I mean, 500 miles from tip to tip. I and mean, we have the mountains. We have the Outer Banks. So, you know, if I've got a prison guard on third shift and an, on the, at the Outer Banks who needs a harassment training face, we can't bring them to Raleigh. Right, all the time for that. So figuring out wh- where people are and what the the constraints are and what the real situation is. Uh, I also have a group of employees who uh, take e-learning at kiosks that don't have sound, which changes what you think you might want to do. I mean, we can't do like the interaction training, the responding That's to right. voice cues. Yeah. We, there's only so much we can do. We can't even really run much video that way because. It can't have any sound. Unusual constraints. So yeah. understanding your audience, understanding what the constraints are, I think is is another one of the challenges. And I'll take a breath here. Am I giving you what you want? Am I answering? I think so. I think uh, these are important things. Yeah. Okay. And, and that first, I'm not sure that's where you really meant me to go. No, no. But, but so. that's always important. Um, you know, first, let's decide if it, it is a training problem. Because that is the first stage gate. Sometimes you're marching to the wrong assumption and the whole effort is misguided. So, you know, deeper than that, uh, maybe it's not really a full-blown training that you right. need. Maybe you need right. the job aid. Right. And not to get us hijacked as way, way, way off topic, but I, I think one of the things um, that I run into quite a bit is that I see training departments and instructional designers kind of falling into an order taker role where you get that manager who says my person isn't doing X, we need training, my people are needing Y, let's do a workshop. I I understand that we have to please our employers. I understand that that we want to say yes and we want to do what people ask us to do. But I have seen training sometimes put itself in the position of being now the ones they're saying, well, we sent them to your workshop and you didn't fix it. Well, you did this class for us and he's still broken, right? So they blame the training department when the Wrong solution didn't work, didn't yeah. work right? Well, so, you get into a, you know, so, uh, we yeah. have one a hammer, everything's a nail. Right. But you run into putting yourself in a position of maybe not fixing it and maybe even making it worse. I mean, I have been sent to training, I think most of us have, that we thought was a complete waste of time and interfered with something we needed to be working on. Because yes. somebody somewhere said we had to go to this training. I, I mean, you, you don't want to antagonize your, yeah. your learners. So then the next thing I would, I would say is a concern when you start talking about this um, – should it be online or should it be face-to-face? I find people going to that decision very, very quickly, probably too quickly. That's not really the first decision. The first decision is what is the problem we're trying to solve? What is the outcome we're after? And then yes. what is the thing that's going to get us that? Uh, so I see them going very, very quickly to, well, if it's content, if it's policy, if it's something we can bullet, we'll just put it online. We'll just narrate something and put it online. 
And that's not always the right the right answer either. I mean, I'm a big proponent of e-learning. I think that we can use it in, in most situations if we do it well. But I see people going to the, those kinds of decisions too yeah. too quickly before they've defined other things. The, the next thing that I see happening is, and I don't want to upset the vendors. I, I deal with a lot of e-learning vendors. Over the years, as authoring tools got better, you know, they used to be really quite... Uh, complex and complicated. I don't know if you remember back to things like authorware where you really kind of had to be a software engineer to do do anything. Um, You know, now they are kind of, for lack of a better term, idiot proof and they are much more uh, accessible. But but what I see happening is that vendors, they're trying to make a sale. I mean, it's their job. Vendors will show up uh, to a, a room full of novices who've never designed anything and they've probably got IT in the room. There's probably some managers in the room. There may be a training director, there may be HR, and these vendors show up with these glorious demos that were created by an army of graphic artists, right, an army of designers, all kinds of resources, and they're just they're just dazzling. And they're interactive and they're engaging and they're fun and they got professional actors and they present these products as if and now you two can go back to your little cubicle by yourself and do this and That's do right. this. That's right. If you just buy our authoring tool. And it's not that. I mean, if you have people who only know how to develop bulleted PowerPoint shows. And there's nothing wrong with bulleted PowerPoint, but if that's all they know how to do, some new tool isn't going to suddenly make them artists. It isn't going to suddenly make them programming wizards. That's right. And, and, just like buying a hammer, it doesn't make yes, you a carpenter. it doesn't make you a carpenter. But that's not how the demos. It's like, oh, look at this. You do this, and you do this, and you drop this cartoon in here, and you hit this button. And then, you know, first of all, you need to design the thing. You need to know what it is you're designing. You can't just go in and make up a bunch of cartoon characters dancing around and say, here's our three key points. And, and after that, you know, there is a certain element of artistry. There's a certain element of uh, uh, wizardry that does go on to, to make it fabulous. And um, I, I get the feeling sometimes I've used this comparison a lot. People act as if you can buy this product and you can take a Volkswagen and shove it in one end and it will come out a Lexus. Yes. Right. Just load these seventy-five PowerPoint slides in, and suddenly it'll be this fabulous thing. And a lot of thing. them feature that. that you know, is, import your PowerPoints, and that is exactly what right. they what they think. And then when it doesn't happen, they're a little surprised by it. Uh, I am not an artist. I I am a great designer. I can do pretty good design stuff. I'm I'm especially good, and it's a curse with with policy and compliance things. I get asked for that a lot because I'm the only one that can see at work to make that at all interesting. It is. It is the bane of my existence and also the thing that keeps me employed. But I'm not an artist, and I'm not that great um, with the programming side. I don't have the patience. I don't, I don't have the imagination for it. So very often, I'll just outsource that much, right? I'll do all the design up to a certain point, and then we'll get somebody in who can, can tidy up on the other end for me, mm-hmm. and that, that saves us a lot of money. So, so that's the first thing I see. The next thing I see, though, is that a lot of the people making these decisions – about buying a product, about buying a, a course, about buying a catalog of courses, they, they don't really have a very good understanding of what good e-learning looks like. Yes. Right? They, they think anything that's animated is just fabulous. Right. right? That's right. Um, those, how, do, how do you show you know, them what good right? looks like, though? Right. Well, that's the thing. They're not very patient about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, unfortunately, we're in an environment where most of the time managers believe that learning looks like school. And if you're sitting and you're reading things in some sequential order and you're taking notes and there's a multiple choice quiz, well, that's what learning looks like when it's not. When after the fact, you can say, well, what did this teach you or what did that teach you? How did you learn to do that? They will never tell you from a bulleted PowerPoint slide with a multiple choice quiz. Um, But but helping them see good versus bad. And I, I do a lot of actually work with that in my workplace. I do workshops on, you know, recognizing what good e learning is, recognizing what 
what has value and what doesn't, recognizing what things are just novelties that you'll get tired of really yes. quickly. Um, there's a certain product, Prezi, there's a certain product that people love the first time they see it, and then I want to take Dramamine because everything's flying and zooming and spinning and, and flashing and polka dotted, and, and that's yes. great for three minutes. Mm-hmm. And after the first three minutes, you're just real sick of it. Exactly. Yeah. So, the thing, the things that get mistaken for engagement yes, factors. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing that happens in the demos is just the first time they've seen these things and they're in there for a 10 minute overview and it looks great for that 10 minutes. And then now, now what are we going to do? But I also see people, um, again, with some of the tools, it is promised that it's sort of easy and brainless. It's not, some of the new tools are not easy to learn. I mean, there's a pretty long learning curve and you have to be pretty good with understanding the technology behind them. If you're ever really going to learn to do a lot of the stuff that you might see a more skilled or more capable or more or better trained programmer do, um, I think some of the products are great. And I have friends who have devoted a lot of time to getting really, really good with them, but it's not plug and play. And, and what I see unfortunately happening on the issue of money, since that's one of the things we're talking about today, I see people spend an awful lot of money on things that they aren't really ever going to do much with. They, they buy these expensive authoring tools and all they're still doing is cranking out PowerPoint slides with three bullets on them and a dancing cat. I, I mean, yes, they're, not, yes. they're not doing anything better uh, because, like I said, it's not going to come out of Lexus. It's going to put out what you put in. And they That's don't right. really understand the design. They don't really understand the work behind it. They don't have the support or the time to either learn the tool or to, to get the design they really need. And, and so... For all the times I hear people saying they don't have money for some of these things, I watch them set it on fire for stuff that's, yeah. that's not a good investment, that's not going to pay off. Or the, the other thing that I've seen happen quite a bit, I think this is getting better, is that somebody buys a proprietary product like an authorware back in the day, and then they leave, and the product is left behind with nobody who knows how to, how to use it or cares to ever learn that's right. right. I, I've exactly. seen that happen a lot with these. Yeah, these. very important. We at, at uh, DAU, <laughs> we, we purchased a content authoring tool, mm-hmm. but it was a huge endeavor. You know, we had to have all kinds of support systems in place. Like you said, if you're going to make it so that it has presentational value, we had to develop templates. We had to have a style guide. Mm-hmm. We had to have the technical support to keep it running well every day and all, all these things. So... You touch on a lot of these factors in your chapter in the really useful e-learning instruction manual about what it takes. In that chapter, you talk about the basic choices of doing it Mm in-house or buying something off the shelf or Mm -hmm. contracting for a customized solution. But you also give a realistic assessment of what resources are going to be required Mm -hmm. to do those. And I think that's what you're talking about right now. I'm getting that, yeah. 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 Um, I think one of the things that you just you just sort of touched on is the um, is the the problem of people who don't understand that in order to use product A they're going to have to invest in product B yes or they're going to have to buy product C and somehow that never gets mentioned in the conversation. My favorite example is this is tangential, but the best things I ever designed were all designed in HTML in like the two thousands, and now we have an LMS that won't run any of it. Wow. And I mean, it needs to be up. I could fix it, but yes. it's just like, really? <laughs> you can't run web pages in this LMS, really? That's surprising. It's one of those things. They can run it as a material. They can't run it as a course. It needs to be updated. But it's kind of my point is we do these things without realizing 
they may have to be redone or that the yes. product is going to demand, the LMS demands that we reduce stuff. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah and we that were, was something we also found. Uh, we, you go through a period where it's suddenly you have a conversion effort, right. right? Taking legacy stuff and making it work oh, all yeah, over again. exactly. Conversion is probably the word I was looking for. So anyway, back to your question. Uh, there's a nice flow chart that a woman named Laura Francis did for ATD. Year, I mean, it's been years. I would say it's 15 years old by now, and it still holds up. I've published it several places. I think it's in the book as well. But, but she takes you through a decision decision-making model that I still rely on now because it's very clean and it's very clear-cut and there's like three or four questions about it. But the first is, and this happens when I have people, uh, especially who come to me who want something designed, something custom designed, and they have a very small work group, or we know we don't have much demand for that. I mean, the first question is, how many users are you going to have? Because even a really basic, really plain vanilla kind of e-learning course is going to take somebody a lot of time, especially if you start talking about art or narration or animation or, or something like that. I mean, it's usually a pretty complex undertaking unless you're doing seriously straight up a bunch of slides with text and the next button. I, even then, that takes some time. You know, there's, there's no good reason to do that if you have an audience of 40 or 50 people in the first place. You know, yes. I, I would say probably find some, some other way. But, it, you know, if you're looking at a great big audience, if you know you've got a lot of users, if you know um, that, that there's legs on this thing, that maybe it'll get reused for a year, maybe it's a compliance topic that the whole workforce has to view or all new hires, you know, then you're looking at, at a reason to develop something, right? So the first question is, do we, do we buy it or do we, or do we build it? And I would say if you've, if you've got 500 people, that would be the first sign. Maybe, maybe we should talk about building it in-house. The second question there is, how much of this is truly proprietary? Do we have proprietary language? Do we have patent research that's a secret? Are we talking about financials that can't be disclosed? Uh, because that, that does speak to the problem of needing to keep some things in-house. But I think that we have all been in a situation where everybody insists that their stuff is special and proprietary when it isn't. I, I, have, yes. joked, I have joked for years that I could do... I could get Tom Hanks to come to my office and shoot a safety video for free. I could send it out to all our agencies for free and tell them, use it any way you like all the time. Someone would complain that the fire extinguishers were red. Mm, yes. Right, because ours are purple. Ours are maroon. They're not that shit. That's right. That's <laughs> we have right. to have our own version of it. So, you know, getting people past that, is it really proprietary? It, it drives me a little crazy when I hear that people are, are sweating bullets over developing unlawful harassment fire safety, interviewing techniques, dealing with an angry customer. I mean, do, do we really need to build any more of that? Yeah, Doesn't yeah. that exist? I mean, you go on YouTube and get 85 perfectly good videos on those topics. I, I'm sorry, but I, you're not going to convince me that your guy who isn't coming to work on time is that different from my guy. Yeah, so there should be some generic off-the-shelf solution that you can just make work. Well, we know there is. I think that yeah. the problem is having the conversation to get people there and say, really? Now, I have a good example of that, actually. We had that come up in North Carolina a number of years ago. It's been resolved since then, but but I had found this. We needed harassment training. They had the, the law had changed. I don't know if you remember. For years, we talked about sexual harassment, and then the law changed to unlawful harassment, and that included things like bullying, it was more than just quid pro quo sexual harassment. And so we had to redo all of the training that we've been doing. Everybody did. There was a huge, it was a big scramble here. I found this fabulous product from a company in California. It had professional actors doing realistic scenarios. It wasn't cheesy. They were, it was really good at the time. Uh, it had tracking back when we still needed that because we didn't have another capacity. It had a really interesting mm. quiz that wasn't just Mickey Mouse test questions. 
And it was something like $18 a head. I mean, it's crazy cheap. Wow. It was crazy cheap. But it kept referencing what at the time were pieces of harassment policy that North Carolina had not yet adopted. I think pregnancy and maybe sexual orientation had not been incorporated in North Carolina yet. This was 2000-ish, I guess. So we bought the product. We launched the product. We had the company just, we just, we added a splash screen that just said, you're about to view a program about harassment. Be aware that there are some elements in this course that aren't specific to North Carolina, for instance, yada, yada. And then we ended, we said, regardless of the law, we expect everyone to treat each other with decency and respect, and you know, which really was the gist of it. And that worked fine for us for years. You know, just starting with, this is how we're a little different, and now go watch the course. I mean, we didn't have to have them, for me to have them redesign the thing or change it for us would have cost me $30,000. Yes. We, we couldn't do that. So, you know, sometimes there's an answer that's right in front of you. Um, there's also, though, something called resistance by delay, where you're in the meeting explaining this to somebody. Well, we could just have a welcome screen, and they will start in on all the laws and all the rules and all the reasons we can't do it, and that we need to have another meeting Mm-hmm. And we yes. need to go think about it and let's call legal. I mean, and, and they, they pretend it's in the name of making sure it's right and it's better, but really they're just saying no. Right. Interesting. Yes. Right. There's, it's not paralysis. It's not, analysis. Le- legi- yeah. it's not legitimate delay. It's just, well, yeah, well, that is kind of not the same shade of red as those fires. You know? Yes. So I, I think uh, one of the things that I see as a problem, I get called once or twice a year from a graduate student somewhere who's in an instructional design course somewhere. And one of the things I think that many of the programs are lacking that I have I have seen or I've heard from, they, they don't seem to teach um, negotiation skills or assertiveness skills with mm-hmm. some of the designers. I, I think that they don't know how to say no or they don't know how to say, well, let's look at it another way or, well, let's see if we can solve this differently. They, they, they just, like I said, they're an order taker and they say, yes, sir, I'll take care of it. But, but really they could maybe get a better or a cheaper answer if they were able to talk through you know, a little bit about the decision-making. I haven't run into too many problems with people demanding it's proprietary. And I think one of the issues on that is when you realize somebody's only demanding that because they want their name on it somehow. They just want to say it's ours and we did it. And it's, yes. you know, and they don't want to admit that's what it is, but that that's a thing, you know, knowing that. So let's say you're, you're confronted with a decision. You're trying to decide to buy or build. If you've got 500 users and there's proprietary content, that's probably indications that you would want to build it, right? If you only have a few users and it's generic stuff like harassment or safety or the, th- the things we just mentioned, you could probably go find a product somewhere. You might even find a free product yes. somewhere that you could do that. So let's say you've decided, okay, you're going you're gonna to build it. Do you want to do that in-house or not? You need to think about the quality, the, the production quality you're really after, I would think about the size of my audience. Uh, you know, how many people are going to see this? Is this going to be some huge rollout to the whole workforce? What are your really your capabilities of doing this on your own? And are you satisfied with just PowerPoint decks with narration? Are you satisfied with some animation you buy from somewhere? You know, what, what is it you're really trying to get? I think that people, when they're looking at building in-house, sometimes underestimate the, the sunk costs that they're dealing with. You know, the fact that you got it done for free in-house, you still paid Jane for six months to do work that would have taken somebody else two months. You paid Jane for a year to have to learn some new piece of software that we could have, you know, gotten somebody on the outside to take care of 
very, very quickly. I, I mean, you know, what? how much is being done about, about that kind of thing? If you work with an outside firm very often, if you don't have it in-house, you have somebody who can get you sort of quickly through the, the cosmetics and the early decisions about it that you don't know are going to be issues if you don't know what you don't know. Um, and like I said, you know, sometimes there's a compromise. Sometimes in my case, I can design up to a certain point. I can give you a really finished, final, polished sort of prototype but I'm not an artist. I want somebody else to take it and make it prettier. I want somebody else to make the interactions more smooth and more, more complicated than I can do. And that is way cheaper than, than just throwing the whole thing at people. Um, I have found the more you can have ready, the more you have your ducks in a row, when you do outsource, the cheaper it becomes. Right? So, yeah, it's a very strategic uh, yeah. outsourcing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I work for the state. I mean, we, I'm never going to have very much money. I mean, I... I and that's kind of where my career in e-learning came from. And my master's thesis was about how to do e-learning with no money. With no money. Um, so we were using a lot of vaporware back in those days. But yes. As it got better and as products got better, and we started seeing more design firms and more you know freelancers that I could I could use for some of our projects, that helped a whole lot. So one thing I don't know that I've I've said very much about that I think is important. I mentioned that I had done it with my own project. I think that, that among our choices, maybe we don't pay enough attention to the possibility of customizing off the shelf, like we did with our harassment products. Sometimes, you know, you can get that done. It can cost a lot of money. Sometimes I think that, that more and more firms, design firms are used to being asked to drop in the CEO's picture or somebody's logo or switch to somebody's corporate colors. So customization isn't probably oh, so as bad it as it used to be. Typically the original provider, you can go back to and ask for some tweaks. Sometimes you can customize off the shelf someone. Now what we did that time, rather than try to get them to redesign for us, was just add the you know the initial welcome screen and that worked fine for us. But but I think if you need some minor changes, companies have become used to that request. I don't think it's the big deal it probably was 15 years ago. Uh, like I said, they, they have to do it all the time. you got a CEO wants his picture on every slide. you you got to do it. Uh, but one of the things I, I really want to get across, I see an awful lot of people. Now, I work in a small situation with, with people who aren't really dedicated e-learning developers. I, I can outsource for that. I see an awful lot of people wanting to build bad stuff rather than just go ahead and spend a little money and get something better. You know, uh, e even if your designers are handing off to a developer later, uh, I see just so much bad e-learning, you know, it, and it's not e-learning's fault that we, <laughs> yes. that we let that happen. It, what, what, what's the usual way in which it's bad? Well, I think that people do. They, that most of the products, most of the authoring tools are, in fact, slide-based, and so people are still creating really poorly designed slides. They are not hitting in very... Uh, very targeted objectives for performance afterward. They are um, primarily pushing out content, not necessarily doing things that are, are in fact engaging or are, are encouraging people to learn very much of anything. I think that we are continuing to just push e-learning as standalone online presentations and not much more. Uh, and I think there's a tendency to default to that. Well, we'll buy Bill this $400 e-learning product and he could just do all this for us. Well, yes. maybe Bill can do some of that, but, but, you know, you, you could probably get a better quality if you either upskill Bill or you get a team in to help Bill or you figure out what pieces of it you could outsource to, to make it a little better. But it, it still keeps bringing us back to how do we teach people what better is. Yes, I right. think that's very true. Now, if you're going to outsource it, if, you, if you're going to contract the creation of a customized product, how do you ensure that you actually get what you had in mind? How do you make sure that the finished product is really what you ordered in the first place? I find that people need help, especially if you're going outside L&D, and if you're having to involve other stakeholders, if you're having to involve other management, 
People have a very hard time. They need to learn how to read storyboards. They need to understand what a storyboard is. They need to learn that this is a visualization and this is a cartoony look, but this is what we're going to come back with, right? Yes. They need to understand that, and they need to understand the concept of, of uh, alpha and beta reviews. I find that people just think that there's going to be this endless cycle of 700 reviews of a product, and they keep wanting yes. to make – they don't really know what they want in the first place. They don't understand what the storyboard means, and they need help learning to, to get that. And then they, they – because they didn't know what they wanted in the first place, then they want endless rounds of reviews. And that's when the money comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, most people who are designing something for you, they, they'll give you two. Right, but if you want 17 reviews, you keep coming back with oh, and add this, and oh, change that, and yeah. oh, we decided we don't like Betty's sweater. And I find you know. it very helpful at kickoff meetings to explain that there will be only so many reviews, mm-hmm. and that the window for yeah. content shaping that closes as we move from content to functional concerns. Do they hear you though? Not always. I know it's it's like we we went over this. We told yes. you this. You know. Yeah. So um, it's it's a, it's a thing to be vigilant for, especially me. My role as a production manager on things, making sure that we're not uh, blowing the schedule right. or throwing people back right. into content revision that should have been settled a long time ago. Yeah, I find that. Um, in addition to learning to read a storyboard, I find I have a really hard time sometimes with subject matter experts. I will ask them to do, you know, give it another once over, check it with legal, check it with whatever. And they want to give me design ideas. They yes. come back with design suggestions. I'm like, I don't care what you think. <laughs> I don't care what you think about the design. Is this right? Is this what the law says? Is this what was current as of this morning? Yes. Is this? And they have a really hard time or they want to edit. You know, they want to change a word and they want to, you know, they're proofreading. Rather than, than, you know, that's right. That's right. when we have people who do QA. So um, I, I think some of it, and it, this came up today more than I thought it would, I think a lot of what we've said today is we need to educate our stakeholders. We need to help them understand what good e-learning looks like. We need them to understand the limits, the capabilities of what they have. And, have. and maybe they've got a fabulous in-house team. I mean, I've been kind of talking all day as if that didn't happen. It doesn't happen where I am. Um, understanding what, what an in-house team can realistically do and understanding what it's going to take to get uh, something better and how to how to get there. Um, so, on the contracted side, though, custom solution. How do you make sure that the vendor is providing what you first set out to have well, them do? And that's what I mean. I mean, if we're working from detailed storyboards and we've had an agreement on that, and I've been able to manage wrangle the content on my side, you know, I want them to come back with exactly what we yes we wrote down. I want it to come back. And typically, what I'll see with a with a vendor, you know, we'll have a storyboard and then it will go to real with graphics or with photos or whatever and they'll send me back some samples and say this is the look this is how we're going to do it and once that's decided it's like just shut up and go right let's just get it done but i have not really had many problems with that i haven't had too many problems with vendors coming back with something that was way different than what we had talked about yes i mean they didn't if you're working with good people that that doesn't happen very much i've had that happen more in-house with co-workers over other things i said this isn't what we talked about at all you know that's all really, really helpful, Dr. Bozarth. Do you have any other tips or best practices that you might suggest? Uh, one thing I did, back to our point about educating people, I, I get so many requests for, could you do me an e-learning? Can I, you know, years ago, I was fighting to get people to use e-learning. That was my first battle. Yes. And now everybody just loves them some e-learning. Um, I have amassed a few examples of, of good and bad and what we can do and what we can do. I have it sort of available as a loop, as a reel. And I send it to people when they contact me. I said, take a look at some of these things because this is what's good. This is what's bad. This is why. Uh, one of the things that I find they don't understand very well is that they, their vision of e-learning is different than mine. Sometimes 
it makes sense to us to do face-to-face. Sometimes it makes sense to us to do a webinar where we can help them make it be more interactive. So it's not just them pushing slides, but they can interact. Like with that prison guard who's 200 miles away. And they can actually talk to him and they can do some role play with him and it can be real time and we can hear everybody's voices. That's not usually an option they consider. Webinars, in their view, have usually been somebody sitting there reading slides and selling a product. Yes, which is why it's so important when you were saying earlier, this jumping to a solution too quickly. Right. So I've, you know, I've put together a reel of some examples of those things so they can see, you know, sort of good Mm. versus bad. And, and one, one way of thinking about it, because generally when they come to me and say they want e-learning, they have a PowerPoint show in their heads, right? And it's not even what we would want to do under the best circumstances. So I I have done something in the way of educating them. Um, And honestly, if they want to do the webinar, that is a way less work for us to develop for less than 500 people, right, some standalone tutorial that has a limited base. And that's one of the other things we didn't mention today. Another tip I would say is find out what kind of legs this product is going to have. Is this some quick Band-Aid they're slamming on something that's only going to run for a few weeks and then get pulled down and never be visited again? Is this a course uh, like intro to supervision or some kind of basic yes. basic employment thing that's going to be good for a year or two? I, I mean, you don't want stuff to, to just last forever, but... You, you need to be careful how much time and effort you're spending into developing a product that takes longer to develop than you even need it, right? That's right. And I would, again, turn to what's available online. What can we already get somewhere else? What could we get cheap? And there are a lot of people that will sell you a course pretty inexpensively and let you even load it on your own, you know, on your own LMS. It doesn't cost too, too much, especially if it's a quick short term, not for 20000 That's That's a very important option, especially if you're a smaller organization, you don't have your own LMS. Right. Dr. Bozart, this has been very, very Thank helpful. You, Thank you yes. for your time. Yes. Um, can I have you back sometime? Sure. I want to tell you another story, though, that Bob Mosher probably didn't tell you. Ah. You can do what you like with it. You can cut it or not. Because Bob Mosher figures prominently in my uh, first book, and I know that you interviewed him here. Yes, uh, just earlier today. today. Yes. Bob Mosher was, uh, and this is a great, a great example of, of people who say they have no money spending all the money they have on a bad solution. Bob Mosher was a, a school teacher. He was a, like a junior high teacher. And the principal, I want you to think about the budgets teachers usually work with, the money that's usually available for them to have what they want. The principal came back from a trade show, like principal's conference somewhere, and announced, now this was the 80s, right? He announced that he had seen this cool new technology called the VRC. Mm. The VRC would let you tape classes and then students could come back later and watch them. Because you know seventh graders are going to do that, right? Yes, they come back and yes, watch sure. the intro to algebra classes. And then he said he had spent half the next year's budget on Betamax video equipment. Oh, my. For the VRC. <laughs> and he kept calling it a VRC. Yeah, a VRC. VRC. And so this is a great example of people who will say there's no money anywhere, and then they will just explode it on something that everybody in the room knew was never going to get used. Amazing, and, yeah. And beta, and it was beta <clears throat> format. Well, this is why, so, you know, my conversation with Bob earlier, we, we touched on how the learning industry is kind of a lagging adopter, and it's important to see what shakes out in the marketplace before you take the risk and invest in things, and it, it actually makes sense to, to be that way. Well, but it goes back to the first thing we talked about, which is somebody with a vendor with a dazzling demo. yes. Who convinces you this is just the thing and it's the coolest beans ever and we got to have right. this thing and we're going to be able to do dazzling stuff with it and there it sits collecting dust. That's right. Dust, so you so. have to be careful. Sometimes there's the shiny object yes. people in your yes. organization that yeah. are uh, lured by that. Thank you again, sure. Dr. Bozart. Thanks for having me. Thank sure. you so much. 
Thank you for listening. To catch up on all of our shows, subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Learning Circle is produced and distributed by the Defense Acquisition University.